And therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one of you to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that he gives grace to those who hear. And do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving another, just as God has also forgave you in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chelsea. Can I begin this morning by telling you a story? It's a famous story, and I'm not going to tell you as though you've never heard it before, but please listen. I'm not going to try to add to it. There was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, at least so they said. And the scribes and the Pharisees grabbed this woman in front of Jesus. And in a spirit of trying to test him, they said, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. What should we do with her? And Jesus says to them, Let the one who is without sin be the first to throw stones at her. And then he stooped down to write into the ground, He stands up again and he realizes that what had happened was that each of the ones, each of the accusers, beginning with those who were the oldest, slowly walked off. Did your accusers leave? Jesus asks the woman. And she says, yes. And then Jesus says to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is a story that is found in our Bibles. Um, I'm using the word story, and sometimes that word story is, can I tell you a story? Jesus told this story. There was once a, a young man, a prodigal. That's a parable. That's a story. I can tell you another story. There was a time in which Jesus walked upon the sea. Is that a story? Sure, it's a story. It's a true story. But this story that you know very well, and I would like you to turn in your Bibles. I'm not going to chase this rabbit too far, but they decided to put it in there, so I felt like I needed to talk about it. We needed to talk about it. Our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Our text for this morning should have been John chapter 7, beginning in verse 53 through 8.11, or beginning in John chapter 8, verse 12. Last week we ended in verse 52 of the 7th chapter, and the next time we pick up John's gospel, we're going to be picking it up at 8, chapter 12. What, what about this story in the middle? And if you look in your text, it, it should say, every one of our Bibles will most likely say something to this. The earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 811. 
Uh, I'm not here to preach a sermon about how we got our Bibles, although I love that conversation. But because we believe so strongly in Scripture, and because I believe so strongly in the, very carefully worded here, but intentionally worded, the inerrant, without error, authoritative, infallible Word of God, I feel that it is best that we recognize the complexity of the text. And and by the way, this isn't the only one. There's an interesting section at the end of Mark chapter 16. And if I ask you in your Bibles, and some of you are going to go do this right now, to read to me John 5, 4, you would find that it's not there. Not the only ones. All of these are actually signs that those who believe that this is the word of God, which I do, the inerrant word of God, believe so strongly that is true that we're willing to be very honest and very real about how the Bible has come to be and that we put our hope and our faith and our trust in God and in his word. And therefore, I have no problem recognizing the complexity of that story. Um, A little bit of background on it. And you can go, actually, to this podcast. We went ahead and we uh, literally taped this podcast, episode 151, The Woman Caught in Adultery, Is It Scripture? We don't know. Um, It still matters, though, and we'll find out why that story still matters. Um, It doesn't appear in any of the earliest manuscripts. Um, In the the Greek-speaking world in the East, um, no, no one comments it until almost the 10th century, The first time that we actually find it, we see it both in John's gospel and in Luke. It appears to be, as best as we can understand, a story that may be true. And there's lots of great stories that may be true that still do not line up. And when I say line up, I don't mean they disagree with. I mean, they still don't rise to the level of Scripture. And we have a very healthy I believe, a strong view of the authoritative, infallible Word of God. And therefore, we just felt it was important for us to be aware of that and for you to be aware of that and for us to have ongoing conversations about how much we trust in the Word of God and what the Word of God is and how these Bibles are true and real and we build our lives upon them. And so what I love about this story, actually, is the surprising forgiveness of God that comes to us which this story is not the only one that speaks about it. God blessed Andrew and I with three boys, which means that it fell on me to have a talk with them. You know what I'm talking about? We just had to have a conversation and then an important conversation. And I was really not prepared for this in part because my dad did not want to have that talk with me. And so he didn't. Thanks, dad. Actually, what, what, I, what I realized is that this, this topic was so important that we needed to make sure that we did it right. We needed to make sure that the boys were aware of life and how life came to be. And in the midst of that conversation, I just couldn't help but think, and and by the way, with my three sons, um, it was met with shock, it was met with unexpected interest, and on one account, sheer horror. (laughs) 
You can ask each of them what their response was. I just couldn't help but think. But I have just explained to you. And I thought the explanation was good. Is so far from reality, meaning the experience. And there's just no way, actually, for it to be anything but that. The explanation and the experience, although this is true, this is so much more. And forgiveness is like that. Forgiveness is like that. Forgiveness is designed by God to be experienced, not just explained. Let that sink in for a moment. This morning, you and I get to celebrate Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit in God's perfect timing, comes down and falls upon the disciples, now apostles. They're still disciples, but now they're also apostles, disciples, followers of Jesus, apostles, ones who are going to be sent out. Now that they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, they are going to be sent out. And what are they going to preach? What are they going to do? How are they going to live? And the answer is, as ambassadors, as messengers, of forgiveness. Peter makes it very clear in the sermon that he preaches. When they ask him, when Peter explains to them, you have killed the Messiah, and they say, well, what should we do? And Peter says, "You, you should repent and be baptized, each and every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. God desires to forgive you. God desires to be reconciled to you. Imagine, that that's, that's the message, that's the expectation immediately on the heels of the statement, you killed the Son of God. You killed the Son of God. Well, what should we do? And, and what, what Peter does is, is he looks at what God did for him. And I, I couldn't help but think that at some, at some time in that sermon, I wonder if he just... Please don't let a rooster crow right now. I don't need the reminder. And Peter looks out into this crowd, knowing the forgiveness that God has given him, the kindness and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has given him. I just want you to experience this too. That's why this, 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 this story I think that's one of the reasons why it lingered around so long. Is they just, it seems like the early church just couldn't let it go. And for that reason, I, I really do wonder if, it, if it's true. One of the things it really hits on very clearly is just this idea that it comes out through the entire Bible, which is it is God's surprising prerogative to forgive. Forgiveness begins, forgiveness starts with God as, as his prerogative. And I, I, I need to spend a moment just explaining what that ultimately means. 
There's no one twisting God's arm. Have you ever had to twist your kid's arm to say that they're sorry? Tell them you're sorry. Right now. Do you understand me? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sit here and keep saying this until you do it. I'm sorry. No, say it like you mean it. Okay. Do you really think this is helpful, Mom? Like, I want you to really feel it. There's no one twisting his arm. Like, nobody could twist his arm. The forgiveness of God comes as his prerogative. Sometimes I I want to uh, forgive. I want to let go of something that somebody else has done for me because I'm scared. I mean, they really have wronged me. And I don't want to talk about it, and I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't happen, in part because I feel like they're willing to let this relationship go, and I just don't want to have to experience life without them. And so I'm just not going to say anything, and I'm just going to pretend that nothing happened. The, the word forgive, sometimes it means just to let go. And I do that. I just, I, I let it go out of cowardice and out of insecurity and fear. You ever done that? God's never done that. God's never done this from like a weakness or a compulsion. Well, except for when it is inside of him compelling him to. A God who is rich in mercy. A God who is abounding in love. A God who is quick to forgive. A God who is merciful And I think it's important for us to just get our heads around the idea that this is his prerogative. This is his idea. And I I really think that's an important message that we need to teach to our children and to our grandchildren. I think it's a, a very important message, maybe one of the most important, one of the most foundational messages that the church needs to present to the world. Not to not talk about sin, Not not to not deal with the amazing brokenness that happens within us or God's righteous judgment against us. Maybe one of the reasons why we just don't even talk about many of those things is because we don't know how to talk about forgiveness. No, this was God's idea. I love going back all the way to really close to the beginning when Adam and Eve sin against God and, and, and they run, which is what we do when we sin. They ran and they hid. They were ashamed. And God pursued them. Where are you? And that question is not one of uh, location. It's not one of geography. It's, it's, the statement is, you're not where you're supposed to be. What happened? And it's his prerogative to do it. Did you know that? That, that God's, God's lean towards you is one of love and mercy, first and foremost. That he is loving and kind and gracious. And that he is quick to forgive. Do you know that? But please do not allow this message about forgiveness to just be a bunch of explanations. Do you know 
God's desire and prerogative to forgive you. To let it go. Because that's who he is. That's who he is when no one's looking. That's who he is when everyone is looking. It's just who he is. And first and foremost, on this topic of forgiveness, we we need to just leave it at the throne of God. That's why one of the things that I love about this story, and it's not the only one that talks about this, there's another great story in Mark chapter 2 I thought about using where a man is lowered through a roof and Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven and everyone in the room loses their minds. What are you saying? Who can forgive sin but God? And Jesus' answer to that is, no one. But so that you might know that I, the Son of Man, the Son of God, have the ability to forgive sins, now I say to this man, get up and walk. They they couldn't, they, they thought it was blasphemy, they couldn't get their heads around it. It's what I love about this story that's found in John's Gospel, where Jesus says to this woman, when no one else ever expects it, neither do I condemn you. Well, what about... Can I just say, before you ever chase some kind of a what about, remember he's God. And remember God is God. And he is free to forgive, but not just someone else. He is free and it is his good pleasure to forgive you. To forgive you. To demonstrate just how great he is. So then why don't I feel it all the time? Well, we're going to try to unpack that a little bit. I think one of the most interesting things, though, is that as much as it is the prerogative of God, there still seems to be a natural process that happens. A natural system of events that actually take place in which God's wonderful gift is then experienced by someone. That it's not just a story that's to be told, but it's a, it's a relational reality. Forgiveness, by the way, is not just meant to be something that happens in my mind. We become so in our heads. And sadly enough, I've preached far too many messages. I've been doing some repenting over the last five or seven years. Far too many messages talking about the psychological impact or the psychological benefits of forgiveness of which the Bible really doesn't speak much about. I can't say none, but it really doesn't speak much about. Because in the Bible, forgiveness is meant to be a relational reality, not some kind of psychological exercise. It is a relational reality between us and God. It is a relational reality between us and those that we have sinned against and those that have sinned against us. And may God truly have mercy on the church for the way that we have sold out to a mere individualized psychological effort on something that is so foundational and is so critical to reconciling women and men to God and to one another like forgiveness is designed to do. 
So although forgiveness begins as the prerogative of God and it will always be his to do so, forgiveness, biblically described, is always found through, only found through humility, contrition, and repentance. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. God offering, God offering, God offering, not everybody experiencing. God extending, God giving, God presenting, not everyone receiving. And those who receive, the one common thing that you will see throughout the scripture, and and there really isn't just a word. It's not just about repentance, although that's probably the word that we think of most. But it actually has to do with like humility. Before we ever get to the idea of repenting, we need to get to the idea of you're not all that. Before we ever get to the the turning, repenting, to turn away from, the, the change of mind, You have to be able to be humble enough to admit your mind needs changing. It's about an act of contrition and of brokenness with sin. And I really believe that one of the reasons why a lot of people have a hard time experiencing the forgiveness of God is not because they haven't heard the story, but they genuinely believe they haven't done much to warrant much forgiveness. And increasingly, as we don't want to talk about sin and we don't want to talk about the effects of sin and the consequences of sin and the nature of sin, then it becomes kind of an increasing disconnect. It becomes far more of a story than a relational reality that I have with God. It's like my oldest son, when he was ready to baptize him, and he understood that he was a sinner. And I could just tell by the way he was saying it, We weren't thinking the same things. And so I asked him, are you a bad boy? To which he should have said what? Yes, I'm terrible. I am horrific. But he said to me, no, you and mommy always tell me I'm a good boy. Then you're not getting baptized. Do you see the dilemma? I believe that one of the major difficulties and struggles that you may have with the forgiveness of God is that you've listened to your mom and your dad too much. That you've listened too much to what your friends have said on Facebook about how how great you are and how incredible you are. By the way, I'm not here to tell you that you're terrible. I'm here to talk about the greatness of God. But he's not just a little bit better than us. He's not just a little bit more perfect than us. He is exceedingly greater than us. Exceedingly so. There are two Psalms, Jeff mentioned Psalms this morning, there are two Psalms that speak so well about this this humility and this contrition and this repentance. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5 says this about blessed is the one whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven by God. Here is how it describes how you get there. Listen to this. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Like I was being worn down by my brokenness. I was, I was being weighed down. I was being, that's why there, there are effects, psychological and others, effects upon us. And that's why it becomes important that not we talk about sin all the time, but that we're never afraid to talk about sin. And that every time we do, we make it very, very clear about the goodness and the greatness of our wonderfully forgiving Father. Another famous psalm about forgiveness is Psalm 51. King David had just committed adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband, taken her as his wife, and, and all of that, not really even wondering if he did anything wrong. And then Nathan the prophet comes. God sent him. Nathan the prophet comes to David and he speaks this painful truth to him. And David breaks. He just breaks. And here's what he describes. He says, to, he says about God in, in verse 16 of Psalm 51, You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. By by the way, God's the one that asked for those things. So David's not saying that God has no interest in those things. But David is saying those things are a sign of something else. And what is very, very clear is that God is not interested in your outward signs of religiosity. He has no interest in a disconnected heart and a mind from him. He has no desire for you just mouthing the words or going through the motions. None. He is not pleased by it. He does not desire it in any way, shape, or form. David said, if it was that simple, I would just do it, and then I could go on with my life. A lot of people actually treat Sundays like that. I just come and I do my thing, and then I go on with my life. Wondering why... I just don't feel like I used to, you know, spiritually. David says in verse 17, the sacrifice that is pleasing to God is a broken spirit and you will not despise a broken and a humbled heart. There are so many things I I want to talk about on this issue of forgiveness, but the good news is I, I believe I should have a few more Sundays before I pass. It begins as the prerogative of God. Forgiveness is experienced, truly meant to be experienced through humility and contrition and genuine repentance, mind change, turning away from that sin. And that is why it's so critical that we understand that forgiveness is not just some kind of divine forgetfulness. It's not just God going, oh, I know that boys will be boys and girls will be girls. Just relax. I'm bigger than this. I really don't think sin's that big of a deal. No. It's such a big deal that God sent his only son to die on our behalf so that we might be forgiven. And yet, do not make your sin so great that somehow the death of the Son of God could not forgive it. Think about that. Our sin needed the death of God and his resurrection and ascension. And therefore, it is a terribly great thing 
but in comparison to the greatness of God, it is not too great. And so maybe one of the reasons why this disconnect is not because, can you tell me a really great story about forgiveness so I could try to empathetically connect to it? No, I want to do more than that. I want to describe to you just the goodness and the greatness of God so that you can actually experience it through repentance and genuinely believing and trusting in God's forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ, his only son. I just can't think of a better day to preach this message of forgiveness than Pentecost Sunday where Jesus said to a bunch of people that were just scared because they were aware of their sin. I want you to know God loves you and cares for you. And he is aware of your sin and you don't need to hide from it, but freely confess it. For God's love for you is great. And this was all his plan and his prerogative and through your humility and through your contrition and through your repentance, you too can experience the goodness and the greatness and the forgiveness and the peace that can only come from God. And you can have This is what's promised in the book of Acts, chapter 2. You can have his spirit in you, which will confirm this all to be true. Now, do you see why forgiveness is not meant to be just explained, but to be experienced? Because God desires to give you his spirit so that you would know the reality of who he is and the peace that comes through what Jesus Christ has done for us. But it never ends with us. It begins with the prerogative of God. We experience it through humility and contrition and repentance. But then, this is what I love about the Bible, and this is what we actually see in what Chelsea read for us this morning, that forgiving others then becomes this natural response The natural response to being forgiven. Now, when I say natural, I I don't mean that, that, that it just comes easy. She had been wronged. I didn't doubt that. And the person who had had wronged her, she even admitted it was wrong. And so she walked into my office and, and she said, and it was a confession, I just don't know if I can forgive her for what she did. And in that moment, I just felt like I needed to say something different than, oh, sure you can. That's usually what I do. Okay, it's sometimes what I do. But I I looked at her, and I just, I wondered if it was true. And so I said to her, yeah, I don't know if you'll be able to forgive her either. Because forgiveness is something that takes a really mature person. It does. It takes somebody, we throw it around like, oh, you should just forgive, like it's easy. Have you ever struggled to forgive someone? It's hard. Like, it is difficult. It literally means, and and this is what makes it complicated, it's it's not just, we love this idea of, it's just forgetting. (laughs) 
Really? I had a gentleman say to me one time, you know that God doesn't know your sin. And I said to him, that's crazy. What do you mean God doesn't know my sin? Well, the Bible says that God has forgotten it as far as the east is from the west. By the way, it does say that. He said, you actually believe that that means like God does not know that I've sinned? Well, he knows that you're a sinner, but he does not know your sin. That doesn't even make sense to me. He's trying to resolve this, and it's better for him in his mind to actually believe that God does not remember any of the bad things that he had ever done. So I asked him, does God know that David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Uh, I'm I'm not trying to just back him into a corner. No, he doesn't. He said, but it's in his word. Well, when God thinks about that, this is what he told me. When God thinks about that verse, he remembers it, and then as soon as he stops thinking about that verse, he forgets it. Before we chuckle at this man, I had to appreciate what he's trying to do is to come to terms with the fact, I can't, I can't forgive unless I can forget. You want to know how great God is? God knows everything you've done. Like it all. And he doesn't forget it. He doesn't hold you accountable for it. He doesn't hold me accountable for it. Is that not incredible? God, how can you know all these things about me? How can you know all these things about us? By the way, past, present, and future. And God says, you really don't understand how forgiving I am. And by the way, that constant act of forgiveness has reminded me I need to stay humble, I need to stay contrite, and I need to stay repentant. I love the line from the Westminster Confession of Faith that all of one's Christian's life is one of repentance. And and that is why I I think forgiveness is not just a sign of maturity, but being able to forgive is a sign that you've been forgiven. Um, There's a great preacher by the name of Eugene Lowry that preached a sermon I heard years ago called Up the Down Staircase. And it's the story, you know, in Matthew 18 of the, um, the unforgiving servant. Do you know the story? Jesus is telling the parable, and he tells the parable of a, of a, a very wealthy um, uh, owner and who uh, basically looks at one of his servants, and he says, I forgive your debt. And that, that servant turns around to somebody else who owed him far less, and he has that person thrown in jail. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, describing this, says, and, and when the landowner finds out what his servant did to the other servant, he had he thrown in, him thrown in jail until he had paid back everything, which he could never pay back anything. And so Jesus said, and that is why unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. But by the way, it's in the Lord's Prayer. If you say the Lord's Prayer, it's what? Father, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive others. It's one of those things, like in part of the Lord's Prayer, that it's going to happen whether you ask for it or not. Dr. Lowry actually said, though, that that one of the reasons why this person couldn't forgive is because they had never dealt with their own forgiveness. I don't know if that's true, but I do find it interesting. 
I genuinely believe that it's not just humility that teaches us to forgive, but it is us reflecting on the fact of all that God has forgiven us for. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, this great forgiven one, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. That's not arm twisting. You better say you're sorry. You better forgive or he's not going to forgive you. I used to kind of teach it like that. But the more that I read the scriptures, it just seems to be more, I I believe that you will be able to forgive and you will understand forgiveness. You will actually move towards being someone who shares the idea of forgiveness the more that you come to grips with how much God has forgiven you. Indeed, Jesus is the one who said that the one who has been forgiven much, do you remember this? What does it say? Loves much. I think one of the reasons why we can't forgive people is because we just don't love them. And we don't appreciate what Jesus has done for us. And so those become our reminders. In light of all that Jesus has done for us, when I was ordained into ministry in January of 1994, I had one of my mentors, my parents were kind enough to have one of my mentors fly up to Calgary and he preached from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I would like to read to you the words that were read at my ordination and the challenge that was given to me. And I guess forgiveness has never really been much of a struggle for me because I have been surrounded by incredibly kind and gracious people who do more than put up with me. I have a mother and a father who have just continually demonstrated what forgiveness looks like. I'm grateful for a wife who just is so kind and forgiving to me. I'm so grateful for friends who have not given up on me. And, and they don't do that by not expecting more from me. No, they expect more from me. And they're so forgiving. And in, in light of these and in light of the Savior that we're all trying to model, these are some of my favorite words in Scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. So we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He that has made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So from someone who has experienced God's unexplainable but deeply experiential forgiveness of God, I plead with you, be reconciled to him. Be honest with your brokenness and humble and contrite with your sin. 
and experience the goodness of a loving father. Don't just get wrapped up in amazing stories about other people's forgiveness. But through Jesus Christ, come to God and experience the love that only, only God can give. Who knows everything about you, past, present, and future, and loves you anyway. So here's our reflection before we gather around the table. It's going to be kind of simple. Two questions, and and by the way, don't go to the second one unless you can answer yes to the first one. And then if you answer yes to the first one and you go to the second one, always go back and revisit the first one. And they are these two questions. Number one, am I forgiven by God? Do not leave this morning without answering that question. Am I forgiven by God? Have I humbled myself? Have I repented of my sin and the fact that not, I, not only have I done bad things, I am a broken person. Do not move to question two until you've answered question one. And for those of us who have answered question one and says, yes, I have been, then I want to ask you, do you understand the joy of now becoming someone who helps others experience this peace with God or peace with one another? Do you understand the the way in which you speak and the way in which you relate to others, that you are an ambassador of peace? You're not here to stir up dissension or argumentation. You're here to help others to know the goodness and the greatness of God. Can you imagine just the kind of witness that our church would be if we would recognize the importance of not separating truth and love, but just like God does, to speak the truth in love about how good and great He is. Think about relationships that you have and how can you be an ambassador, a reconciler, peace bringer. Pray and reflect on those things and then we will gather at the table and eat and drink 